From a fruit market in Tel Aviv to a fish seller in Taipei, the people of our world are working hard to make a living. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. We're going to start off things today with a brand new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Wednesday, December 22nd. That's the 23rd if you're tuning us in on shortwave. It's Christmas Eve Eve, I guess. Mm. That's what that makes it. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today is Leslie Liao. Hello, John. Coming up next, we're going to tell you about a bizarre, uh, bizarrely high casualty number at the latest Taipei Marathon. Also, the story of a kid who took a drastic means to try and get a, get out of going to school. Plus, how DNA sequencing is being used to catch cheaters in tea competitions. All that coming up next. Please stick around. though, uh, some really great news. We don't often see snow here in Taiwan, but we could be seeing a white Christmas at least if you are over 3,000 meters above sea level. That's not too hot for Taiwan. Yeah, we have a number of mountains. Um, so they're saying that among the places that are likely to get a little bit of white cover are Taiping Shan, which is in Yilan County. Nice. That's as a strong continental cold air mass is set to arrive on for Christmas. And uh, it says that... Um, it says that a cloud system from the south will bring in moisture that will decrease by Wednesday, but there will be rainfall in the north and the east, and uh, I guess that's going to be the beginning of uh, some chilly weather. It's been pretty chilly, Temperatures John. are going to range from 17 to 27 degrees Celsius. It won't change that much uh, on Thursday or Friday, but uh, come Christmas, if you're in the mountains of Taiwan, you can expect to see some snow, a rare sight here. It's great. Now, usually in marathons, the only casualties are calories. But uh, the most recent edition of the Taipei Marathon has had a shocking number of heart attacks. Yeah, John, you came in and uh, you handed me the story. You're just like, I want you to talk about it because... Yeah, you're a marathon guy. I'm not a, quite a marathon guy. A marathon is like 26 kilometers. The most I've ever run is 12 and a half. But you're like always in them. That's ins- Yeah, but that's insane. But it's like running 26 kilometers just seems so insane to me. Um, and you know what? I'm... Like you said, there's some casualties this time around because nobody died. We should be clear. Nobody but, died, uh, but they've, they've they suffered heart attacks in the middle of the race. That's right. There's there's a uh, apparently there's a term for if you suffer a heart attack outside of a hospital. It's called OCA, O H C A, and it's called out of hospital cardiac arrest. Five people suffered OCA uh, during Taipei Marathon on Sunday, and cardiologists are warning that. Uh, people with high blood pressure, high blood sugar, or with high level of fats in their blood, I'm guessing that's triglyceride um, levels, they shouldn't be participating in marathons. Yeah, or maybe like take it easy, do a, do a half marathon or something. Yeah, um, the Taipei Department of Sports said 
five people had regained consciousness that all and recovered from the after treatment. So I guess they had ambulance. I mean, they usually must have been pretty busy at the emergency room. That yeah, day. usually at these marathons they have ambulances just like really. Yeah, r- uh, riding alongside. I didn't think heart attack or like anything other than maybe falling over was a common occurrence at marathons. There are there are fall there the dude people do fall over and some people do get nasty gashes. Uh, I've seen that before, and I had to just look away because blood makes me does not feel mm-hmm. good. Um, and cardiologists also remind people who participate in marathons to warm up before the event and drink enough water. And marathons start early in the morning, so it was pretty cold. And um, runners who gasp for air and experience chest distress, dizziness, or arrhythmia, which is an A... When your heart gets a yeah, funky beat. Funky beat. Not in a good way. Yeah, they say they should just quit the race. And I have to say, John, there's... Something almost admirable about pushing yourself to the point of heart attack when running. Kind of. It's just <laughs> <but> that, <laughs> that level of determination it's is... Probably not... It's everything in moderation, you know? Yeah. It's good to exercise, but not quite to that extent. To that point. I mean, how do you... Pu- I, to, to, for me, it's like, how do you push yourself that hard? It's... Pretty so, intense. I mean, uh, so there is, is this the record for the number of heart attacks at a marathon in it Taiwan? Doesn't, it doesn't say, but five is believe, more than you would expect. I, and five... I believe the route, if I'm not mistaken, ran right sort of around our station because I saw signs saying that the traffic was going to be re- rerouted. Yeah, I think, I think it circled the city. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's actually really impressive. But a half marathon is like... It's a tw- that's 26 kilometers. And I force myself to run as any healthy guy should but 26 kilometers is a half marathon that's insane like that's two hours of running hey jendalari's here oh cool uh nazir z says not a good idea to be to participate in in marathon if you have health issues and it looks like the cardiologists actually agree with you nazir because people say um he advised uh, this doctor advised people who had stents inserted in their coronary arteries or like with a history of cardiac. Why are people who have stents in their arteries probably are not in no state to, to even run. walk very far, much less run. They should be in like stretchers. The only they? reason like doctors are bringing this up is because it's probably happened. Wow. Yeah. So that's the latest and greatest out that's, of the Taipei Marathon. I, I've never heard of such a. <laughs> of the Taipei Marathon ever going this wrong before. Sabino Guo says those marathoners who had a heart attack thought they were perfectly healthy. Yeah, I'm, it's very I, possible that it could come out of the blue. Yeah, it could be, right? Well, like, maybe you should have, in the future editions, they're going to make people have a health ch- exams before they participate. You have to, yeah, I you think... pass a clean bill of health. Especially if, you, if you're running, like, that much of a distance. Mm. That's, that's way too much. But I guess the assumption is, if you're training for a half marathon and have trained for a marathon, and you have successfully done it, like, I guess the assumption would be you're healthy, but... Yeah, man, like pushing yourself mm. to the point of chest pain. That's not that's that's yeah. no good. No, no, no. No yeah. one wants angina. Yeah. <laughs> well, this middle schooler is in big, big trouble. Uh, he was very angry that his parents woke him up to go to school, and out of anger, he set a quilt in his room on fire, and uh, the whole house caught. Wait, he he did what? He set the house on fire because he didn't want to go to school. Get out of school? Um, yeah, and it's it's uh, the firefighters had to use a ladder to get his parents safely out of the place. Uh, fortunately, it's only on the third floor, so not too high. But uh, yeah, the 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 father had to be rescued from the roof of a neighboring home, and the woman, the mother, had suffered smoke inhalation injuries. Uh, so they both went to the hospital. This took place, by the way, on Monday. 
December 20th. Oh, and uh, the the uh, culprit, the couple's son, uh, turned himself into the police. And uh, yeah, he's been. I don't know how you charge minors for that sort of thing, but um, he's going. He's been transferred to the Zhanghua District Court on suspicion of committing arson and offenses against public safety. So that's uh, grounding. <laughs> that's uh wow. I can't. I mean, I've. I thought about doing some stuff like to get out of school, but I've never gone through with it. Um, yeah. And never, never did That's I ever th- think to commit arson. It took it took um, nine teams of firefighters, which included 23 vehicles and 60 firefighters personnel to the scene to, to, to put the fire out. That's a lot of people. I, yeah. What was the damage? Um, well, it doesn't. I'm sure that the house is probably the least of their worries yeah. because they're both in the hospital. Um, but uh, it looks like uh, it was 7.41 when the fire was reported, 8.13 in the morning when it was put out. So that's a, enough time for quite a bit of damage. Oh, that's not good. That's no good, man. Wow. That's uh, the that's, craziest attempt to get out of school I've ever heard that's of. That's way too extreme. Uh, yeah, like what, what was the... I think there, there must be some mental health issue involved. I don't think, That's not something I think a healthy... A, a healthy teenager would do. would do? I mean, teenagers are... Can be stormy and dramatic. They do go. They do go through some stuff. Um, Let's see. Jendalari says, "If I had burned down my house because I didn't want to go to school, my mom still would have sent me to school." Oh wow. Well, now he. I don't know. Like, is he going to jail now, or I don't know what Taiwan's system for that is actually. I don't know if he's got to face some punishments. Most of our kids are very well behaved. Yeah. At the same time, like parents are known to be very strict, so I don't think I can't imagine that um, his parent. He's going to be very happy with it his yeah, parents are gonna be very happy with him um so i imagine i don't know is there juvie school i'm not sure about the minor the minor system here man uh the minor punishment system i guess mm. i'm not 100 percent sure on it but there have been cases involving young kids before like there's there's got to be some i don't think i don't think i don't think like Taiwan will flat out try him as an adult though that just seems uh, well, his age is not listed here but it says junior high school so that's it's around 14 15 i think 13, 14, mm. 15? Yeah, I think you're still a minor at that point. So Wow, talk about really not wanting to get out of school. That got my attention this morning. I was like, what? I mean, what's the craziest thing you've done to try and get out of school? Um, I am trying to think. I just said I needed a mental health day. Uh, yeah? And it, I, my, my parents were like, okay. Not yeah. frequently, but like one time I was just, uh, you know how middle school there is. Yeah. You know, you know, like that actually worked on my mom once too. Really? Yeah. I was just like, I, I just went in and negotiated. I was like, it was a Sunday. And I was like, mom, I really don't want to go to school tomorrow. And yeah. I think she was on the phone or something. And she just wanted to like swap me away. So she's so, like, okay. Yeah. You know, she's just like, just, just, yeah, sure. Just do whatever. Wow. And then I was like, oh, this is, so when she's on the phone, she's a good time to negotiate. <laughs> That's what I learned. <laughs> Some new technology in the highly competitive world of tea. Uh, mm. I don't know. Have you ever watched or participated in one of Taiwan's uh, many tea competitions? No. It's like I a can't. wine t- wine tasting competition type of a thing where they try and... But uh, yeah, maybe um, a little bit less snooty, but equally competitive. Taiwan takes its tea very seriously, though. Yeah. The problem is that there are cheaters. You can. It's apparently possible to cheat in the world of tea competitions. Um you know, they, they had one in Nanto County, which is a 
pretty big tea growing region. Mm. Uh, the Lugu Farmers Association there on uh, December 20th published the list of the winners of this year's winter tea contest. But also, alongside that, they published the details of five participants who were, five of them who were disqualified. Oh, the um, de- their details. By, yeah, because uh, they were using imported tea. And it, the rule was, I guess, it had to be locally grown. And um, it says that, you know how they figured it out? DNA sequencing. Oh, this is this is an episode of, of TSI. TSI. Oh, we got it on the same. <laughs> um, and uh, actually, they weren't just local farmers. They came from a broad range of areas in Taiwan. Mm. And they determined, I'm not sure how, because tea is tea. Does it have, maybe there are different varieties. I, but it's pretty much, it's the same plant, right? Camellia sinensis. I think it's the scientific name. I don't know. I mean, like... Um, but they figured out that somehow that they were cultivated overseas. The samples were destroyed. That's dramatic. And uh, the perp- the perpetrators may be permanently disqualified from the competition. You have to send a message, John. And prosecuted for t- on charges what? of fraud and breach of trust. Well, that's if they commit it a, a second time. Oh, that's really intense. It, isn't it? <laughs> for tea? Wow, man. Yeah, it's the first time DNA has been testing has been used in this forty-five-year-old tea competition. If you can't do the cri- time, because, don't do the crime. Yeah, well, it is uh, financially. I mean, there's a financial incentive to cheat, which is that uh, winning teas can be, you know, you can jack up the prices. Oh, right, right, right. And some of these teas are extremely rare and expensive, like connoisseur stuff, not the sort of stuff you or I. Drink. Definitely not yeah. what you'll find at a ten rens. I was thinking about um, um like uh, what was it called? Like prize money is what you're thinking about. Well, that. I don't know about prize money, but uh, the w- the winner of the largest prize, which is called premium, can see that its prices reach ten more than ten thousand, close to eleven thousand U.S. dollars per mm. six for six hundred grams. That's a lot. Wow. Six hundred grams is a jin, a Taiwanese measurement of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. weight. It's uh, so that, that's roughly a pound. Yeah. Eleven thousand dollars for—that's <laughs> crazy. But it is extremely competitive. Uh, it started out with just three hundred entries when they started in nineteen seventy-six. Mm. But these days, uh, I think the most recent contest this year attracted five thousand and twenty-five submissions. Wow! So just a be, team of scientists. To be yeah, that's a lot of leaves to test, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Uh, but to be the top of the pack for that. Um, yeah, that's a, a lot of a, a lot of mu- eleven thousand per six hundred grams. I would not pay that for any tea. Is the Lugu Tea Competition like really prestigious, or is it like a really recognized award? I think there are a number of them that are held around Taiwan. Okay, um, some of them I think are just for ex- like real locally grown things. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. for instance, the Pingling District of New Taipei, where they grow some nice tea, yeah. has its own like local competition to promote local growers but uh yeah uh some people take their tea very seriously it's a little yeah like we're t- we're bringing dna testing john like <laughs> like i just i just see like this guy coming out of like a big van with two big black suitcases putting on these rubber gloves we got yeah let's test some tea boys <laughs> can you imagine the, the chalk the chalk drawings yeah, try, it's like oh my god this was imported Ooh. from outside <laughs> oh when will they ever learn it might be fun Well, can you believe it? New Year is almost upon us. Do you have any exciting things planned? Are you going anywhere special? I can't believe it's tw- it's almost 2022, John. You know, someone asked me 
a question about uh, when the, the last time I was overseas was because uh-huh. we were discussing, you know, uh, like Southeast Asia. That was yeah. the last place I went before the pandemic, and I was like, I don't know how many years ago that was. Yeah, it's just because time has just been so distorted. I feel like. Yeah, like the last three years are all sort of a, a large blur. Anyway, 2022 is, according to the calendar at least, still upon us. I've read that it sounds like the 2020 part two, mm. 2022, um, which is not a real great sign of things to come, is it? Anyway, uh, Taiwan's Tourism Bureau has recommended some destinations where you can go. Uh, however, I don't think this is a very good list. I think we can probably do better. So let's see, first of all, what uh, they're recommending, and then give our own recommendations, shall mm-hmm. we? Okay, in a press release on December 17th, the Bureau basically, in a large amount of the places they recommended, were just like amusement parks, which are bound to be extremely crowded. Um, I remember I went to one on Halloween, and no one rode any of the rides because the lines were all three hours long. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and they're, But they're re- um, recommending the Libao Resort in Taichung, Jan Fusen Fancy World in Yunnan County, where I know they have a, a New Year's fireworks display every year. From they there. said Fusen Fancy World? Yeah. Jan, Jan Fusen Fancy World. Oh, Jan Okay, no, 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 no. And uh, they spell it kind of weird. Uh-huh. And Ida Theme Park in Kaohsiung, I think. That's they the big one. Have, they also have, well, they have what I like to call the vomitorium. <laughs> it's like that? when they spin you upside down like this in a circle. Oh, no. The physics yeah. of the vomiting is not yes. going to be fun. <laughs> like, well, please fasten your seatbelts when entering the vomitorium. Um, anyway, they've got fireworks and displays, but they're going to be crowded, you know. There are some of the other places that might be a bit less crowded um, are Lishan in, in Lishan and Taichung, where they have indigenous dance performances, and the nearby Guan area, where mm. they have... Other shows in hot springs to soak in. Mm. In the north, they say go to Waiau Beach, which I think is where people like to go surfing a lot. Yeah. Um, and there's you can watch sunrise over Turtle Island there on the first day of the year, mm. which is a volcano. It's but it's it gets its name because it kind of looks like a turtle from a distance. It's got like the shell it's, and everything. It's also like the volcanic activity is reactivated in there, so you might yeah. see <laughs> if you're lucky. Neat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and then they're like, oh, go mountain hiking, climbing or hiking or biking, and then go to a hot spring on in Daoxi, mm. which is nearby on New Year's Day. But I think uh, the other, I mean, there's a few other suggestions. Uh, the Thao Pier, which is on Sun Moon Lake. Mm. There's a fireworks display there, the Ita Thao Pier. Or go to, this place is definitely going to be crowded, the San Xiatai Recreation Area, which is oh, known... Yeah for a kind of a funky bridge mm. that connects to an island off the coast. People say it's the first spot in Taiwan to see the sunrise, Is yeah, at least on the island itself. That's a geography thing, right? I just think, like, all these places are going to be far too crowded to That's enjoy. what I don't like. I, that, I can't stay, like... I'm not even... I don't even go to downtown Taipei anymore because of how crowded it is. I cannot stand it there, John. Yeah. I've, I've been there once... And there were just so many people. I you just... won't be able to get a ride home until three in the morning if you go down there. Because yeah, it's so packed to it's the brim. So unreasonable. And I imagine a lot of these places will be too. So I thought we could make some of our own recommendations. Uh, yeah. Um, you know what? I think the best one is just to find like Taiwan has so many good views and locales. Just find a nice bed and breakfast so and just go th- out that's there. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Go the East Coast will be the first place obviously to see the sunrise, but the uh, it, go somewhere other than San Xiaotai because yeah. that place is going to be packed with yeah. that's every New Year's Day all these people set up their tripods. Everything you then, read on like a trip advisor, everything you read on like 
Oh, I don't know, like like a like a what's it called, Lonely Planet guide. Those places are going to be so packed. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would recommend Hualien County and uh, the rest of Taidong County. That's a good place too. Because they're full of bed and breakfasts. They're not always necessarily easy to get t- train tickets to get to, but they're definitely going to be a lot quieter, and you can enjoy, yeah. you know. Do it in peace. The crowds. Do you can't even peace. get cell phone reception in some of the places because they're just they have to install special what are they called? But Taiwan's got great infrastructure for that, right? It's, I was like trying to like upload a video of the mm. fireworks and I couldn't. There were too many people. Yeah, no, that's 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 always the case in, in uh in downtown Taipei. What happens is Every year, it's like a thing. It's like, oh, like service providers say that <laughs> they've 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 put up like three hundred more like temporary towers, and it's still never enough. Like yeah. it's always a problem. And the crazy thing, John, last year they made it a point to test internet speeds at the celebration at Taipei One Hundred and One, like live on stage. Really? Just to I, show. I couldn't. The last time I went there, I couldn't get any signal. Yeah. So like. They know it's a thing, uh, and now guess, it's commercialized. I guess we should at least, while we complain about the crowds, we should at least be grateful that we're able to have any gatherings at all. I mean, that is fair. We're yeah, pretty yeah. much still COVID-free here. I haven't really heard part. much about what the rest of the world is doing. Yeah, um, and I think we should also enjoy it while we can, because once Chinese New Year comes around in February, I think is it this year? Yeah. So many people are going to be coming from overseas. That may be the end of our COVID bubble. <laughs> yeah, it's a roll. That's a roll of the dice, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, let me see really quickly. I think we had... Jen Delari said, Back in the 90s, one of my first things my Taiwanese pen pal sent me were small packs of tea. They were really good, but I don't remember what they were anymore. Tea is everywhere in Taiwan. If it's from Taiwan, I think most likely, most likely, oolong. Yeah? That's probably the most the... likely. Well, that one also answers another question, which Nazir Aziz asks. Most... Uh, Used brand of tea in Taiwan. Most used brand of or tea. Or type of tea. Most used brand, I would say, is Tianren. That's a tea shop that they serve in to-go cups. Mm. But, uh, um, and in the south of Taiwan, everyone goes to Tazimoso. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's super sweet, though. That's just so, un- that's unreasonably sweet. I get sweet. mine unsweetened from there. Uh, Sabino Guo says, One of my friends attended the insanely crowded year-end party concert and ended up getting home to Taoyuan at 7 in the morning. It is it is very difficult to get out of there. Even if you want to just take a taxi or an Uber, forget about I it. I can't do that. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to, to a nice restaurant instead. That's a good plan. Um, I believe you've got another story for us, though. Uh, yeah, so today. I'm going to be telling you about the first Taiwan's first and lar- Taiwan's largest topiary garden. Topiaries. That's, yeah, Ooh. it's going to be opening up tomorrow, which is the 23rd, uh, if you're on a Facebook. If you're listening on shortwave, it's already opened. And uh, this is in uh, Kaohsiung, and it takes inspiration from... Like Lord of the Rings, there's a the little <laughs> hobbit door in there. Is there Mount Doom? Uh, uh, God, that would be fun, right? A, a, a flaming topiary. Just, a, just one on fire of the big eye. <laughs> um, there's also a, a family area with... Um, there's a big grass area you can play in, and then there's also a picnic area, and there's also some simple playground, like... Uh, like little playground equipment. Uh, and this is a project from the Kaohsiung uh, Tourism Bureau. And they spent around 24 million new Taiwan dollars, what? which is about 1 million U.S. That's almost, crazy. Almost 1 million U.S. dollars, yeah. And uh, this was this used to be a place to ride horses, but the... I would think riding horses is a lot more interesting. I don't th- you think so, right? Oh, yeah. Getting lost? I, I think... You, you, have you ever do done they, a corn maze, John? Yeah, do they at least have a hedge maze? They do have a hedge maze, yeah. Okay, well, maybe there's some redeeming qualities yeah. there, but I think that's a lot of, hopefully not taxpayer money. 
it's, for giant topiaries. If it's Do they have, what are their other Lord of the Rings themed things? Uh, they, it's just they just only mentioned the Hobbit door, but it looks like they just. Well, that's they, not very complete. They they have do they have like at least trees and bushes shaped like the characters, like the like ends. Golem? No, I would lo- I would love an end. Uh, but that's about it. What's going on? It's 0.6 hectares, and um. You know, go oh, check little... out some topiaries. Yeah, go check out some topiaries if Ooh. you're in the area. All right, that does about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. Thanks to everyone who joined us and to everyone who left us a comment. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Leslie Leo. Bye for now. See you guys. Newsmakers, a look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. In today's show, we will be looking at what happens when a massive star collapses and implodes. But before you think we've switched focus from news to astrophysics, let me explain. In this edition of Newsmakers, we will be talking about the Taiwanese-American pop music superstar Wang Lihong. Wang has won numerous awards as a singer-songwriter, sold out China's biggest venues, starred in Ang Lee's and Jackie Chan's movies, carried the Olympic torch not once but twice, yet chances are many foreign listeners may not have heard of Wang Lihong. He was called the King of Chinese Pop by CNN, but the LA Times called him the biggest American star America has never heard of. To say that Wang has been in the headlines in the past week would not even begin to describe the media storm surrounding him and his ex-wife in recent days. The unfolding drama vastly outshone everything else in the media cycle, including important events like a national referendum on Saturday. Before we look at Wang himself and the scandalous revelations surrounding him, I believe I should start with a disclaimer. I usually steer clear of gossip columns and celebrity scandals both in professional and private life. As alluring as it may feel to peer into the lives of those enjoying fame and wealth beyond anything most of us can expect in our lifetimes, stories like that are often based on nothing more than rumors and speculation. White-hot emotions that accompany these reports usually do not remain contained to the people involved but spill over to affect audiences and commentators. This case is no different, with both defenders and critics of Wang Lihong swelling up comment sections of news outlets, internet forums, and social media websites. Because of that, I almost didn't do this story. Almost. In the end, I decided it would be inappropriate to ignore a person who has featured in more headlines and angry comments over the space of a single week than likely any other individual featured on newsmakers in the past. I will try my best to present recent developments in an unbiased way. Alexander Li Hongwang was born in 1976 in Rochester, New York, to a family of immigrants from Taiwan. From an early age, he showed interest in music. He started playing violin at age six and piano as a teenager. He also taught himself to play the guitar and drums. He double majored in music and Asian studies and actively engaged in music while in college. 
1995, he won a talent competition while visiting Taiwan and was offered a recording contract with the label BMG. He released his first album that same year, followed it up with a second one the following year, and two more before graduating college with honors in 1997. Although his early work received limited recognition, his big break came in 1998 when he released his fifth album, Revolution. For it, he received two Golden Melody Awards, which are often called the Grammys of the Chinese-speaking world, Best Producer and Best Mandarin Male Singer. He was the youngest recipient ever to receive an award in either of the two categories. At this point in time, no one would blame Wang for focusing exclusively on his music career. However, he chose to continue his education at the same time and attended Berklee College of Music. Today, he holds honorary doctoral degrees from both this school and his other alma mater, Williams College. I could go on listing Wang's albums, each one more successful than the last, as well as the accolades he received for them, but I would probably run out of time before I got through the entire list. Out of necessity, I will be summarizing to a greater extent than usual. Throughout the 2000s, Wang's style developed and settled, while his popularity in Taiwan, China, Hong Kong, and among Chinese-speaking communities worldwide skyrocketed. Fans enjoyed his style, in which Wang never shied away from experimentation and inclusion of new elements. His songs included elements and influences from traditional music of Taiwan, China, Tibet, and Mongolia. When he wasn't busy recording hit songs, winning awards, or breaking concert attendance records in Taiwan and China, Wang found time for acting. In 2007, he played a supporting role in Ang Lee's thriller Lust, Caution, and a more central character in Jackie Chan's 2010 action comedy Little Big Soldier. I would like to devote as much time as I have to Wang to his wife, Li Jinglei, who is the second half of the scandal which played out in the Chinese language media and internet over the last weekend. Sadly, she maintains a much smaller public profile and avoids the limelight in general. According to Li, she first met Wang when he was 26 and she was only 16, although Wang's account seems to differ on that somewhat, claiming that they weren't close until much later. The couple married in 2013 and had three children together. In the middle of last week, Wang announced on social media that he and Li were getting divorced after eight years of marriage. In the announcement, he asked the media to respect the couple's privacy. That had the usual effect, or rather lack thereof, and a storm of speculation quickly broke out, citing Lee's involvement in Wang's career and Lee's strained relationship with her mother-in-law as possible reasons for the breakup. Two days later, Li Jinglei posted a long entry on social media in which she leveled a list of accusations against Wang. She said he had promised to protect her good name through the process of divorce but failed to do so, allowing the media to speculate on her guilt and the public to believe that the divorce was amicable. She said she felt it necessary to explain. According to Lee, she never sought to divorce Wang and she was pressured into it by the singer. She accused her now ex-husband of repeated adultery, to which he had purportedly confessed, using the services of prostitutes and even keeping notes on the specifics of each encounter. She claimed that Wang had been an absent father to the point of not being present on his children's birthdays, despite putting pressure on Lee to bear children, which resulted in her sacrificing her career and personal life only to become a de facto single parent. Lee claimed that she was forced to sign an unequal prenuptial agreement and has been constantly under suspicion by Wang's family for trying to take advantage of the star's fame and wealth. She also said that it was Wang who asked for a divorce, and when Li initially refused, Wang responded with verbal abuse, humiliation, and spreading rumors to friends and relatives. 
One reason this is particularly shocking to Wang's fans is that he had maintained a carefully managed image of a devoted family man and a father. After the news broke and dominated the news cycle on Friday night and over the weekend, netizens quickly began to scrutinize Wang's past social media posts. Some photos aimed at presenting Wang as a family man turned out to be doctored or reused and inconsistencies in locations were found. This is as far as I'm comfortable with going into the personal lives of Wang Li Hong and Li Jinglei and the specifics of accusations being thrown around. I don't want you to think I'm giving him a pass or brushing off the accusations. I simply don't feel adequately equipped to scrutinize them. However, regardless of whether they prove to be substantiated or not, Wang Li Hong's business presence, at least in China, seems to be going through serious problems. Several brands dropped his endorsement soon after the scandal broke out and his own businesses will have to face a far more hostile reception than before. Some state-run Chinese media outlets have even called for a permanent ban from the country to be imposed on Wang. That brings us to the end of this edition of Newsmakers. Join me next time for another look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And today I've got quite a few people in the studio with me. Um, first of all, I have Joyce Tai, who is the assistant researcher at the National Palace Museum. She's also the organizer of the National Palace Museum's uh, Overseas Youth Ambassadors Camp, and that's really more what we're going to be talking about today. And then along with her are several youth ambassadors of this program. Uh, first, there's Ming Sun. Yeah, hi, everyone. <laughs> okay, and then there's Zhen Shou Kai, or Kai. Yeah, hi, everyone. I'm Kai. All right, and then last is Joanna Xie. Hi, I'm Joanna. Right, so good to have you. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate y'all making the time. But um, first of all, I really want to know about this National Palace Museum, also known as NPM, Overseas Youth Ambassadors Camp, which actually, Joyce, you germinated this program, which I think is really exciting, but I'm going to have you tell it yourself. So um, this is a program that the uh, National Palace Museum, or the NPM, rolled out due to the COVID-19 global pandemic. Because um, during the pandemic, a lot of Taiwanese students enrolled in overseas universities. They were stranded in Taiwan and their education was temporarily disrupted. National Palace Museum had really wanted to develop a next generation of youth audiences. We also wanted to make international youth more aware of the museum, its collection, and its services. So we thought that this was a wonderful opportunity that this group of brilliant students with uh, international connections, with uh, multilingual language proficiency, and uh, coming from all different kinds of backgrounds with a lot of, uh, how to say, wonderful digital and social media experiences, we have the unique opportunity that they're in Taiwan uh, <laughs> during the regular school year. Right. And so, and we thought, 
this might be a great chance to give them a face-to-face -face curriculum as well because in Taiwan, the um, pandemic is not as serious. Right. So we rolled out a 60-hour uh, program that involved 30 lecturers. Many of the lecturers are senior staff members from all areas of museum operation. Right. And some of them are even external experts in museum marketing and design thinking. And together, uh, we rolled out a program that spanned 10 weeks during February and April. This year. This year, mm -hmm. early this year. But um, our engagement and connection uh, with the ambassadors went beyond that because um, we hope this could be a long-term or maybe even a lifetime relationship. Mm. And um, a lot of the ambassadors, including the three ambassadors we have here today, all have very interesting personal stories um, to tell related to their relation with the museum before and after the program and how they hope to go forward. Wow, okay. that is great. Now, tell me, have you guys been to the museum before there was this program? Ming, did you ever go to the museum? Yeah, I visited the museum quite a few times before joining this program because I like Asian art history culture quite a lot. And I feel like going to the museum is like going on a hunt. Like you go into the museum and you target what you want to see and you bring back home what you learn in the museum. So I. Um, National Palace Museum can always impress me mm. on that. Did you go with your parents or you went by yourself? Um, I went by myself sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that, I mean, it's my bias. I think that museum is like for older people, you know, and I know that this program is really wanted to attract a more younger audience, right? Which I think is right on target and doing a great job of doing that, which is really awesome. But you know, I just curious, I wondered if you went just because your parents went and they got dragged along, you know. Well, what about you, Kai? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, for me, I visited a couple of times before joining this overseas youth camp. But at first, I'm actually dragged by my parents because I live nearby in Tianmu. But <laughs> gradually, like, I feel like I've become more and more interested in the museum. And sometimes when I have free time after class, I really enjoy the time just visiting the Palace National Palace Museum and sometimes with my friends together it's like a space and atmosphere is good for the like quality time for me yeah mm. and, and Joanna how about you did you ever go to the museum before this program and were you attracted to it I mean I don't know yeah I visited a museum during um, elementary school summer camp oh you were still very little yeah I was still very little by and yourself I, or went with the school uh, I went by my friends and also with my art teachers ah. during summer camp and I remember I watched a very cute animation. It's called okay. Guo Bao Zong Dong mm. Yuan. And uh -huh. I still remember the plot. Well, that's a long time ago. Yeah, it was You a guys long were already, ago. right, Joyce, into animation to attract <laughs> <laughs> I don't, interest, you know, from a younger audience or something like that. That's, that's great. You guys are really like ahead of everybody else, I guess. <laughs> ahead of the times. Oh, wow, that's neat. And see, it made an impact. He remembered up till now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Who has an art background? I think that would be me. Oh, I see. So that's you. So anyway, I understand that actually there were 60 plus people who tried to enroll in this program. And how do you actually go about choosing the last few winners or what do you call it? 
It really gave us a huge headache because I still remember I was receiving these、um, applications and looking through them, and I'm like, "Wow, these people!" Really Where are you going to start choosing from? Great、right? resumes, and、um, if if I had applied, I wouldn't be picked. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, there's kind of like a decision paralysis or something." I just、yeah. we just didn't know who to pick because everyone has、uh, is is really. Is really outstanding and unique in his or her own way, and I could see them helping to become ambassadors for the museum、oh, in、wow. their own fields, in their universities abroad, in some way. So it、mm. was it was really really tough, but、yeah. um, we try to reach audiences that are not necessarily from an art or art history background mm, I, because yeah, I know. because、um, they are more our regulars and、mm. we are more familiar. Dealing with them, and we know、uh, what they need and what they expect. We wanted to、uh, make people outside of these immediate fields, immediately related fields, know what NPM has to offer. Mm-hmm,、uh-huh. mm-hmm. And、um, so we、uh, try to pick a diverse background. And、yeah. most of the final final participants, yes, they are from、uh, business, business or mass communication. Yes. Um, or studio art background, right? Right. You know, you open up the horizons for them. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. I'm speaking with Joyce Tsai, an assistant researcher at the National Palace Museum, but also the initiator of the 2021 Overseas Youth Ambassadors Camp Program, and along with her. Three overseas youth ambassadors: Ming, Kai, and Joanna. I want to know. I mean, before the program and after, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? You know, have you fallen in love with the museum even more than before? And how?、I'll、start with you, Ming. Before the program, when I went to the museum, I always see the collections.、Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows the Cheddar Cabbage,、yes. uh, Fat Lady, and you know all the. Wait a minute, Fat Lady. Yeah, the the Fat Lady、one. from Tang Dynasty. Oh, okay. She was quite cute. I missed that. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Um, but after this program,、um, because during this program we got to meet. So many experts and the staffs at the National Palace Museum. So after this program, I start to see the museum beyond its collections. We have so many outstanding staff serving at National Palace Museum. So that's why I did a project called Humans、mm. of NPM on our Instagram、right. page. Yeah. So to introduce the staffs at the NPM. Oh, good、yeah. for you. <laughs> You know, I'm jealous about one thing. You guys all got to see the secret storage, yeah, right? It's not accessible to the general public, but you guys got to see the storage. We、yes. went to the um, conservation uh, con- conservation、um, studio to、oh. see how they repair and protect、right. our collections, but we、I'm、didn't、jealous. get to the.、Uh-huh. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Kai, how did you feel when you went to that? You know the secret storage where they keep all these other artworks and maybe even like repair work. What were your thoughts? At first, it's very like surprising. Like、uh, everything like we see like at the museum is just like、uh, like treasure.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, actually, the, for the many like researcher in this domains at the Palace Museum, there's like their daily life. They really have to. Pay much attention to the art crafts and the collection because that's actually the national treasure for us. It's、uh, 
honorable for us to have this chance to like spot how the process like in person is so close and this is one of the advantage of being the overseas camps participant mm. and i think the others like my thoughts change after this ambassador's camp is that i become more like aware of the whole like organization method and administration's method and the how the for example how a museum like exhibitions is planning mm. maybe a couple years ago and then how to select the art craft should be presented mm. and how to write the storylines behind the art crafts and the exhibition this is everything is like not something i will think about before joining this programs yeah. so this camp really brought a lot of for me and i really enjoy the times during this ambassador's camp and joanna out of all the people that you listened to who lectured, they were all different kinds of people that played different roles in the museum, right? Was there one that really stood out that you thought, even this is a job or something? Was there anyone like that? Um, Mr. Hong, he is the head of the de conservation department mm. because he demonstrated to us how to actually mount a calligraphy. And I thought he calligraphy, would, wow. Okay. I thought he would use a lot of tools, but the only tools that he used are two brushes and water and also rice glue. And he told us that the rice glue was prepared by himself. So they didn't bought it from a stationery store. Oh, they wow. prepared it uh -huh. um, from scratch. So I thought that was very cool. Why, why rice um, ink? Why, why do you use rice? I mean, I'm sure he explained. Did he explain? <laughs> um, it's the glue that they use to um, glue the paper with the calligraphy. And if you use the glue from a stationery store, it contains preserver. So they try to make it by themselves so that um, they want to make sure that the ingredients are really simple and it won't hurt the artifacts. Oh, wow. Okay, that is amazing. Because we know about rice paper, right? Mm -hmm. You can actually eat rice paper. Yeah. But I guess it seems that rice has a lot of use, even in this case, rice glue. That is yeah. really amazing. Gosh, I wish I was in this program. I can, I get access to all these things that you don't know about a museum, you know? Because you just go there, you pay, and then you walk in, you look, and then you leave, you know? But I mean, yeah, I do get impressed, but there's mm -hmm. so much behind it that you're more impressed. What, what else impressed you about the museum besides being a visitor, besides being a visitor at Ming? I mean, what else impressed you about the museum that maybe the general public doesn't know? Tell me some secrets. <laughs> Any, secrets. Anything. I'm, I'm yeah. looking at Joyce, Dr. Joyce. <laughs> Are you <laughs> saying that there are some secrets you're not supposed to say? <laughs> well, well I, um, I actually signed an NDA <laughs> with the museum. Okay. Well, I, I, I won't push yeah, you. Everything I say here is monitored by my supervisor, so I can't really say I see. Ooh, no wonder. You're, you're like so serious about this. Okay. But I, I, I do want to um, just to uh, supplement that. We, we actually did not take the students to the secret storage in the oh. cave because those places cave, are actually the cave. <laughs> those places are actually off really? limits even really? for staff even oh. for researchers like myself oh really because i um i study chinese paintings yeah. okay before i join the museum as a researcher we can request to pull out 
paintings that are not currently on view for、uh-huh. research purposes,、uh-huh. okay. and、uh, we did not go to the storage to see that. It、uh-huh. was pulled out by curatorial staff in an office room, a viewing、uh-huh. space, and we can only see it there. See. So the the storage area is off limits. But we did try to show our ambassadors a behind the scenes、yeah. experience and see art conservators at work in the、mm. conservation studio.、Mm. That part is usually. Off limits too, but we,、okay. we try to at least make this part accessible. Next week, we'll be hearing more from the ambassadors Ming, Kai, and Joanna. Just what kind of memes or creative ideas that they have about promoting the National Palace Museum to the younger audience. For in the spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International, and you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at. Radio Taiwan underscore ENG, and if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into six one hundred kilohertz from sixteen hundred to seventeen hundred UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kilohertz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english@rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International.